Christ, we speak before God with sincerity, like men sent from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendations to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit it gives life. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, Will not the ministry of the Spirit be ever more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold, We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Thanks, Mon. Well, good morning. Mon, did... Oh, sorry, thank you. That's very helpful. I'm sorry, Mon, if there was a mix-up and you're expecting to read chapter 4, that's, that's next week. You read that uh, beautifully with, uh, with um, no preparation, so thank you. Uh, it's great to be with you this morning. Um, uh, Gav has probably explained the, the circumstances uh, that Ben was due to preach at Harrington Park, but um, I was due to come out across here anyway, but, um, but uh, Gav is, is, is filling in for Ben, who uh, has um, COVID at the moment, so... Uh, we're scrambling a bit this morning, but uh, I just heard that Gav made it across there in time to preach at Harrington Park, and I'm here, so it's all good. Well, let's, uh, let's pray as we come to turn our hearts to this part of God's Word. Father God, we uh, thank you for this day. We, we thank you for your Word, and we ask that you give us insight and understanding. Please write your Word on our hearts by your Spirit, and move us to, to, uh, to grow in the image of your Son, our Lord. And we ask in his name. Amen. Well, how are you going this morning? If I uh, had to ask you uh, sort of on a scale of 1 to 10, you know, where 1 is the worst week of your life and 10 is the the best week of your life, I wonder what sort of number comes to mind. Uh, I don't know if you're game to sort of show me uh, some fingers as to how you're going. We've got, you know, any 7s or any... uh, Hendrew's a solid 8. That's uh, that's great. Um, Hendry last night, for those who were there, Mark Drummer, it was just fantastic. Um, Gav's probably already talked about it, but uh, there are still tickets available tonight. Uh, shameless plug, come along. 
um, Hendrew and Julene were just uh, amazing. And, uh, and God's gospel in uh, Mark is even more amazing. Um, yeah, so uh, 1 to 10, how are you going? Maybe if you had to use one word to describe um, how you're going, would it be great? Would it be struggling, plotting, stressed, anxious, relaxed, carefree, bored? I don't know, I wonder what word comes to mind. I wonder if anyone would use the word glorious. I'm kind of suspecting not, unless you're having a particularly good week. Uh, But I want to share with you this morning how it is that we can live lives that are glorious, even as we go through the the ups and the downs, even through the, the eights and the twos. And that happens as we encounter, as we reflect, as we respond to God's glory. Uh, This passage in 2 Corinthians 3 has uh, a lot to say about God's glory. And we need to start by asking, what is the glory of God? I mean, if you wanted to see the glory of God, what would you do? Where would you you go? Maybe we would think of, um, of God's glory as his shining brilliance, his brightness glowing in a cloud. In fact, Uh, Many times in the Old Testament, uh, people experienced and saw something of his glory in this way. So Exodus uh, 16 verse 10 says, While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. Similarly, Exodus 40 verse 34, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Uh, Similarly, Ezekiel 10 verse 4, Then the glory of the Lord rose from above the cherubim and moved to the threshold of the temple. The cloud filled the temple and the court was full of the radiance of the glory of God, of the Lord. And uh, there are many other instances of of, uh, the glory of God appearing in a cloud, appearing in a bright light. So I wonder if we you know, wanted to experience the glory of God, would we, would we pray for some sort of ex- experience of, of a shining brilliance? Or maybe we'd look for the glory of God in creation. Now, some of you may know that I love to go hiking. I love to get out amongst God's creation. And here's a spot that I went to a couple of weeks ago on a, on a hike, a beautiful place. And, and indeed, the, the creation can give us a sense of God's greatness, of his, his majesty, of his power, his glory. Uh, Psalm 19, in fact, says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. If you, if you go out into the country far away from the city lights and, and look up on a starfield a starfield sky, you, you get a sense of the, the, the majesty, the glory of God. Where else might we get a sense of the glory of God? Many people have sought to capture and express the glory of God in, in amazing buildings and, and spectacular temples and decorative churches and things like that. Now, looking around, I suspect that we don't really go in for that sort of stuff. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a very nice hall, but it, you'd hardly say this is expressing the glory of God. But some people do look to art and to architecture to convey the glory of God. Now, we do know from, um, uh, from the Bible that Moses saw and experienced something of God's glory. 
when God spoke to him on Mount Sinai and gave his law to him, gave his law to the people of Israel, God's glory was reflected on Moses' face. In Exodus 34, verse 29, it says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. So the old covenant, the law of Moses, it came with, with something of God's glory as God spoke his word to his people. And yet Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 3 that, that the new covenant, the new covenant of Jesus is actually so much greater and more glorious than the law of Moses. And that's something that you and I can know and experience ourselves. In this chapter, Paul highlights a contrast between the old and the new. And, and his big idea here is that if, if the old covenant had glory, well, the new covenant has so much more glory. Uh, under the old, glory came with the law of Moses, but it was, it was transitory, says verse 7 and, and verse 11 and, and uh, verse 13 says it was passing away. Whereas the new covenant, it lasts, says verse, uh, verse 11. Uh, it brings greater glory. It brings a glory that, that doesn't pass away, but in fact increases, says verse 18. Uh, so there's this contrast, uh, the contrast also uh, uh, of the outcome. The outcome of the old because of sin is condemnation and death. Whereas the outcome of the new because of God and his grace is righteousness and life. Now, new things are not always better than old things, but uh, it's certainly the case here. The, the old covenant was the covenant of the letter. It, it came with laws, it came with rules and regulations. It was written on stone tablets. That is, it was external to God's people. And as something that's external, it actually failed to change, to motivate them to obey his law. Instead, it, it stood there and condemned them, pointed out their sin and their failure. Kind of like one of those, um, you know, when you go to the beach or go to a park and you, and you see what I, I call one of those no fun signs. You know, those signs that say all the things that you can't do, you know, no dogs, no um, fishing, no ball games, no skateboards, no four wheel drives, no. There's some strange things on this particular sign. There's, there's trumpets there, no, <laughs> no trumpets. But it, it, it's external to you and it, it doesn't actually motivate you to want to, to, to keep the rules to keep those laws. I mean, the, the threat of a hefty fine for using your, your trumpet, that might motivate you uh, to, to obey, but it doesn't actually change your heart. The old covenant law kind of worked like that. It, it was external. It was engraved on stone tablets. But in contrast, the new covenant, it comes with the Spirit of God. As the Spirit of God works in our hearts, writes his law, on our hearts. And this was actually always God's plan. 
Back in the time of Jeremiah, God promised through the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31 verse 33, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbours or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember, will remember their sins no more. So God promised that he's going to, when the new covenant comes, he will write his law on the hearts of his people. Uh, likewise, Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So under the, the new covenant, God writes his law on our hearts. He moves us to, to want to follow his decrees. The new covenant is so much greater, so much more glorious than the old. Written not on, on letters of stone, letters on stone, but written by the Spirit on our hearts. God's glory is seen here in a way that's, that's not hidden, it's, it's revealed. Paul says that well, under the old covenant, the glory of God that was, was reflected on Moses' face was veiled as it passed away, says verse 12. So the, the glory didn't last. It passed away. And even while it was passing, it was veiled. But under the, under the new covenant, there is no veil, or rather the veil is removed. Uh, without Christ, a, a veil obscures people's hearts. It, it, it prevents them from seeing the truth. It keeps them uh, from seeing the glory of God. But when we turn to Christ... He removes the veil, verse 16. He reveals the truth of God. He brings life and righteousness and freedom. Being a Christian means having the word of the new covenant, the gospel of Jesus, written on your heart by the Spirit of God. The Spirit lifts the veil so that we see Jesus clearly. And as you see Jesus clearly, you see the glory of God. See, ultimately, where do you see the glory of God? It's not in a shining, glowing experience. It's, it's not in a spectacular, breathtaking building. It's not even in God's amazing creation. Ultimately, you see the glory of God in the, in the one who is the image, the representation, the likeness of God that is in Jesus. In John 1, 14, it says the word, that it is Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen, notice, his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The glory of God is, is seen in Jesus in the, the fullness of God's grace and truth. Likewise, in, in Hebrews 1, verse 3, it says that the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So the glory of God is seen perfectly in Jesus. But his glory doesn't stop there. Verse 18, which I think is one of my, my most favourite verses in the Bible, at least this week it is, it says this, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate or you could say reflect the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his image 
with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. God's people are being transformed by the Spirit of God to become more like Jesus. That is an amazing privilege. As we turn to the Lord, as we accept Jesus as Lord, the Spirit of God lifts the veil, writes the law of God on our hearts, moves us to want to keep it and to obey God, changes us to do that more and more, to be transformed into his likeness. Now, that's a lifelong process. Sometimes change, progress can seem very slow. But what a privilege that God is at work in us by his spirit. That is glorious. You might think, well, how does that, how does that change happen? How does that, that transformation happen in someone's life, in my life, in your life? Well, it happens firstly and fundamentally through God lifting the, the spiritual veil, so to speak. Uh, or to change the metaphor, it's, it's by God turning on the lights so that we, we see, we understand who Jesus is and, and accept him as Lord. You may have seen that happen in, in other people. You may have experienced something of that yourself. As we're, we're sometimes quite suddenly, it just, it just seems to make sense. That Jesus is, is, is Lord. God has lifted the veil. Secondly, this, this change, this transformation, it, it comes through knowledge. Uh, in a, a different passage, Colossians 3 verse 10, it says this. It says, and we all... Sorry, Missed that one. Uh, three, 3 verse 10 says, We have put on the new self, which is being, notice, renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. So the way that we are made more like our creator is through knowledge. As we, we grow in knowing and understanding how God wants us to live, that renews us. Thirdly, this transformation that God brings by his spirit in our lives, it, it often comes through suffering. I mean, you might not be feeling particularly glorious this morning. Uh, maybe, you're, maybe you are doing it tough. I want to say, take heart. Take heart. God can use that to renew you, to grow you, to change you into the image of Christ more and more. Romans 8 is a, uh, perhaps a well-known passage and sometimes it's, it's misused and, and can be done um, quite hurtfully in some ways. But Romans 8 says that, that those who belong to Christ have the Spirit of Christ in them and that God works in all things, even through difficulties, for the good. Now, not the good of just taking all the suffering away and making life wonderful, but the good end of conforming us to the likeness of Jesus. The Spirit changes and transforms God's people to make them more like Jesus. Maybe you've seen that, uh, that glorious work of the Spirit in, in your life or the lives of others, uh, seen that the veil lift to understand uh, who Jesus is, to, to realise the need to change who's in charge, to actually hand over control to Jesus. Maybe you've seen the Spirit of God convict you of, of your sin, lead you to, to repent and change, to, to, to be transformed, to become more like Jesus. Or maybe to open your eyes to see what matters, what doesn't matter, and to, to not live for the, the stuff of this world and, and wealth and career and possessions, but to live for Jesus and to become more like him. 
What a glorious thing that is. There's the reflected glory of God. There's Christ Jesus reflected in the lives of his followers. This is the the glorious new covenant life that God calls us to. And this is the, the glorious new covenant ministry that God calls us to. At the beginning of chapter 3, Paul talks about uh, letters of recommendation. Um, as a, a minister, I often get asked to write reference letters for people, um, you know, applying for a job and things like that. Um, I don't know if anyone here has asked me for a reference letter, but you know, the, you know the sort of letter where it says, you know, dear sir or madam, I've known Fred for six years, uh, during which time he has been an outstanding member of our church and uh, Fred is the most wonderful person you'll ever meet and I'm sure employing him is the best thing you've ever done. Yours not so sincerely, Jono, or something like that. Um, I, I'll, I'll do a better job than that if you ask me to write a reference letter. But Are you familiar with the, the kind of idea of things? It, it seems that in, uh, in uh, Corinth, when Paul was around there, that, that this was common, common practice for travelling speakers to have these letters of recommendation, to carry them around to sort of prove their credentials. And questions are being asked of Paul. Where, where's his letters of recommendation? Paul engages with this. He says in verse 2, He says, you yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. He's saying Christ has has written them. He's written the Corinthians, written their lives by his spirit. They themselves are testimony to the work of God through Paul's ministry. So Paul's not interested in, in giving them letters saying how great he is. Instead, he points to God and how great God is and says what an amazing thing God has done in their lives. It's as if he's saying, look, you you want proof that I'm I'm the real deal? Well, just look at your own lives. Look at what God has done in you through me. Now, does that mean that Paul um, must have been someone special to be used of God like this? No. Verse 5, he says, it's on the screen there, yep, yep, not that we... Are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. God is the source of Paul's competence to serve him. And as for Paul, so for us. See, if you've turned to Christ, then he is gloriously working in you by his Spirit to make you more like Jesus, and he is gloriously working through you, making you competent as a servant of this new covenant message. Uh, Paul uses a a really powerful illustration um, of of how this works at the end of chapter 2. You might have noticed I'm kind of reading backwards uh, in our passage today, but end of chapter 2, Paul talks about uh, a triumphal procession. Now, those in first century uh, Corinth would have been familiar with with a Roman triumphal procession. Here's an artist's impression of it and the different parts to it. Uh, This would happen when a conquering army returned from victory and they would uh, uh, parade through the streets and and glory in their victory. Uh, You can think of it as maybe an ancient equivalent of a a ticket tape parade. Don't really have ticket tape parades much anymore, do we? People know what I'm talking about, ticket tape parade, you know, where the Olympic team comes back from their great victory and they parade down the main street and people throw ticket tape, you know, whatnot. It's kind of like that, but this victorious army led by the general returns uh, from victory and they'd parade uh, the the general at the center of the procession and and there'd be the prisoners perhaps 
en route to their execution. Uh, there'd be the Roman citizens who had been liberated from their enemies, and there'd be the soldiers who were victorious. But amongst the parade were, were some people that Paul particularly highlights here. Amongst the parade, there would be incense bearers, people who would, who would, whose job was to spread large amounts of smelly, fragrant smoke. Maybe you could think of it as an equivalent of a smoke machine or something. And, and Paul says, that's what we are. We're the incense bearers. 2 verse 14, he says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. We're caught up in, in Christ's triumphal procession. He's the victorious king, and we're the guys swinging the buckets with the, with the smoking incense. And what is it that we're, that we're spreading everywhere? It's, it's the knowledge of him. And as we spread that message, that knowledge, well, that, that has different impacts on different people. I guess just as the, the smell of the incense would have had different impacts on different people in the parade. Uh, for some people, it's the fragrance that brings life. As they come to Jesus, they find liberation, they find forgiveness, peace and hope. For others, it's the stench of death as it pronounces their judgment, their condemnation for their enmity toward God. This ministry of, of spreading the knowledge of Christ, it has a weighty impact. I think this is a, a great analogy for gospel ministry. Uh, the Corinthians were getting all caught up in chasing after impressive leaders and you know, people with great gifts and they're raising questions about Paul and his, his credentials and suitability. And, and because of that, he does have to kind of defend himself, but he does so not by saying how great he is, but by saying how great God is. Christ, the victorious king, is, and how God uses him as his servant. It's a great illustration of gospel ministry, and the same is true of us if we belong to Christ. See, think about it. In that parade, who are we? We're not the, the awesome special force combat soldiers who take down the enemy. We're the dudes swinging the, the incense. We're spreading the message. And swinging the incense is actually not a very difficult job. Pretty much anyone can do it. Anyone can spread the knowledge of God. And the power comes not, by, not from us and, and, and how good we are at spreading the, the, the message. The power comes from the message, from the aroma, from the knowledge of God. As he works through us to minister by his spirit in the lives of others. As he writes his word, the word of the gospel on their hearts. And God does that in all sorts of different ways. He does it as we speak of Christ and explain to someone why it is we're a Christian. He does it as a parent teaches their child about Jesus. He does it as we invite a friend or family member to the Mark drama. Shameless plug, it's on again tonight, last time, 6 o'clock, be there. He does it as we, as we give a friend or a family member a gospel or a book or as we answer questions about our faith in Christ. He does it as we encounter someone and encourage them with, um, with some truth of God's word. As God's word is ministered, as it spreads in all its different forms, God uses that and works by his spirit. 
See, what is God in his glory doing in this world? Where do we expect to see the glory of God? We see it as he works by his spirit to write his word on people's hearts. And as they turn to Jesus and acknowledge him as Lord, he begins to transform them. Transform them into the glorious image of Jesus with ever-increasing glory. That's what God's doing in this world and that's what he wants to do in your life and in my life. That's what he is doing in your life and my life if we've turned to Christ. And so by implication, um, firstly, most importantly, I want to say, have you turned to Christ? Has the, the veil been taken away? I mean, maybe even today, God is at work in you, lifting the veil so that you go, yeah, you know what? Jesus is the Lord and I need to bow my knee before him. If that's where you're at, I want to say, don't, don't resist God. Do it. Turn to him. Discover the glory of God in Jesus as his spirit works in you and through you. Hand over control of your life to him and find true freedom. Secondly, keep looking to Christ. Or in the, the words of Paul, contemplate, reflect the Lord's glory. Look to Jesus and continue to, to be transformed into his likeness. That is an amazing thing, that the God in his grace, by his spirit, is transforming us with ever-increasing glory as we look to Jesus. In one year from now, I want to be more like Jesus than I am now. In five years, in, ten years, if, in 30 years, if God should give me. And I want that for you also. But you know, more than what I want, God wants that for you and for me. And he's graciously bringing that about by the work of his spirit. So, so put yourself in a position where, you, where you're open to him doing that. Keep looking to Christ. Read his word. Reflect on his character, his goodness, his, his glory. And see God transform you. Thirdly and finally, join the parade. If you've been given the knowledge of God, start spreading it around. Swing the, the smoking incense, so to speak. Not everyone will love you for it. For some people it will be uh, the announcement of their death and judgment. But for other people it will bring them life. Who responds which way? Well, that's not up to us. That's God's business. Our job is to, to spread the word, to, to share the aroma of the knowledge of God. So join the parade and spread the word. To return to my first question, how are you? Are you glorious in and of yourself, in and of your circumstances? Perhaps not. But Jesus is glorious. He's the, the fullness of the goodness of God, full of grace and truth. And as we look to him, we reflect his glory. We're, we're transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory by his spirit. And we join his parade as servants of the new covenant, spreading the knowledge of God to others and seeing the Spirit of God transform the hearts of people. What an awesome privilege is ours in Christ Jesus. So turn to the Lord, keep looking to him and join the parade. Let's pray and ask God to help us to do that. Now, Heavenly Father, we, we want to thank you for your grace to us in Jesus. We we know that in and of ourselves we're not sufficient, we're not competent to even, even come before you, let alone to, 
to be your children, to be your servants. But Father, we thank you that you've shown your glory in the Lord Jesus. That you've called us to turn to him, to find forgiveness and freedom in him, and to reflect his glory as we're transformed into his image. Father, we thank you for that amazing, glorious work that you are doing, and we ask that you continue to do that, to make us more like Jesus to use us as your servants to spread the knowledge of you to others. Father, give us courage, give us boldness, give us confidence in you and in your glorious power through the gospel. Father, please show your glory as you save and transform many people by your grace. And we ask in in Jesus' name. Amen.